Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. One day, making tracks in the prairie of Prax, came a north-going Zacks, a north-going Zacks, and a south-going Zacks, a north-going Zacks, and a south-going Zacks. And it happened that both of them came to a place where they bumped. There they stood, foot to foot, face to face. Look here now, the north-going Zack said. Hey, say, you are blocking my path. You are right in my way. I'm a north-going Zax, and I always go north. Get out of my way now and let me go forth. Who's in whose way? Snapped the south-going Zax. I always go south, making south-going tracks. So you're in my way, and I ask you to move and let me go south in my south-going groove. Then the north-going Zack said with north-going pride, I never have taken a step to one side, and I'll prove to you that I won't change my ways if I have to keep standing here 59 days. And I'll prove to you, yelled the south-going Zacks, that I can stand here in the prairie of Prax for 59 years. For I live by a rule that I learned as a boy back in south-going school. Never budge, that's my rule. Never budge in the least, not an inch to the west, not an inch to the east. I'll stay here not budging, I can and I will, if it makes you and me and the whole world stand still. Well, of course, the world didn't stand still. The world grew. In a couple of years, the new highway came through, and they built it right over those two stubborn Zacks and left them there, standing unbudged in their tracks. Last week it was zombies. Today it's Dr. Seuss. That's a major upgrade in my opinion. Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. There appears to be a major standoff brewing in the church in Philippi between two prominent women, Euodia and Syntyche. Paul mentions them later in Philippians 4. Euodia was a north-going Zach. No. <laughs> Perhaps members of the church are beginning to take sides. And it's in danger of becoming a major problem for the Christians in Philippi. And so at the end of Philippians chapter 1 and at the very beginning of chapter 2, Paul implores his friends in Philippi to stand together as one rather than squaring off against one another. And then he continues in chapter 2 to show them how to do that. How to maintain their unity and avoid the kind of conflict that can absolutely destroy a church, or a team, or a family, or a business. 
Embrace yourselves because Paul is about to share with us the secret of getting along with each other so that we can stand together as one. And what he's about to say is absolutely revolutionary. Let's pick it up, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Some translations say consider others better than yourselves. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Wait, that's it? That's it? How is this a revolutionary teaching? This is standard Christian boilerplate language about humility. We have heard this a million times. It's been read already once in this gathering. We have seen it before. There is nothing new here. And this is one of those instances where our familiarity with the passage or concept keeps us from seeing just how radical Paul's instructions would have sounded to his original audience. For us, humility is the ultimate Christian virtue. It's the ideal to which we all aspire. But in the Greco-Roman world, when Paul wrote these words, humility was scorned as a vice, not championed as a virtue. The championed virtue in the Greco-Roman world was heroic ambition. The Philippians lived in a world where just about everything was based on status and levels of honor. Their society was constructed on a kind of ladder of status. And the goal was to aggressively, ambitiously, heroically climb that ladder as high as you could go by any means necessary. Now, only one could be at the top of that ladder. That was Caesar. He was at the very top. He was the ultimate hero, set apart from everyone else. He had tremendous power, and he used his status and his influence to, among a number of things, invent my favorite salad. He also popularized a hideous haircut, but no one could stop him because he was Caesar. He's at the top of the ladder. And then just beneath him are the senators. They tried to hold Caesar in check, but they, they couldn't most of the time. And beneath the senators would be the equestrians. They got their name from being able to afford horses for military affairs. See, apparently back then, some people considered your mode of transportation a status symbol. Well, that landed very well. First service was a little iffy on that one. Congratulations. Just below the equestrians were the decurions. They occupied priestly and governmental offices. Now, these top four classes or categories, they were the elite, the cultural elite of the Roman Empire. They were the top 2%. They flew first class. And they referred to everyone else, the 98% back in coach, as the rabble. 
But even the rabble had categories of status on the ladder. Roman citizens had certain rights and protections under the law. For example, a Roman citizen could not be crucified. A citizen could be beheaded or burned alive, but not crucified because those punishments were less shameful than crucifixion. Freedmen were ex-slaves who were not citizens, at least not yet. They could climb the ladder and try to get their citizenship. But they enjoyed certain privileges unavailable to slaves. And then, of course, slaves at the bottom of the ladder had nothing. No rights, no privileges, no protections, no real freedom. Crucifixion was reserved particularly as a punishment for rebellious slaves. It destroyed you on the cross, yes, but before that it humiliated you. Crucifixion was known as the slave's punishment. So just about everything, every aspect of life in the Greco-Roman world was set up as a means to indicate and reinforce your social status from your clothing to your occupation to seating at dinner parties. Freedmen wore special hats that indicated they were no longer slaves. So you can't treat me like a slave, I'm a freedman. See my hat? Male citizens wore togas. Senators decorated their togas with a purple stripe. Equestrians could not wear the purple stripe, which is why some of them were the first to sew logos of polo players onto their togas. Don't fact check that. One of the most honorable, respected occupations was owning vast tracts of land and having slaves work your land. The elite never did manual labor. For private parties, the seating arrangement indicated social status. Sometimes hosts would intentionally invite someone for the purpose of humiliating them by giving them the worst seat in the house. I'm glad you're here, but you sit over there. And if you were of inferior status, you may be served inferior food to reinforce your low social status. A filet mignon and lobster for you. Spam and crackers for you. It was all designed to make sure you knew where your place was on the status ladder. So when Paul asks his friends in Philippi to, in humility, consider others better than yourselves, value others better than yourselves, He's asking them to set aside everything they've been taught about how their society is ordered. He's asking them to do the exact opposite of what has been ingrained in them regarding both their public and even their private behavior. Rather than squaring off against one another and using their status to overcome each other, Rather than playing your status card, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who my family is in order to make sure you can get what you want? He asked them to give up their status. 
to let their status go and put the needs and interests of others above their own, even if technically they occupy a higher level on the ladder. This is crazy talk from Paul. This is not the way their world worked. He is inviting them to commit social suicide. So he better have a good rationale for asking them to conduct themselves in such a strange and scandalous way. And boy, does he. Because he continues in chapter 2, verse 5. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, the same mind, the same attitude, the same posture, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who... Being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, or actually slave, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If if anyone could have ever played the status card If anyone could have ever said, do you know who I am? To ensure he always got his way. It was Jesus. You want status? He had the status. And though he was divine, he did not consider his divinity, his equality with God, something to be exploited for his own advantage. He never used his divine status to cut ahead to the front of the line, to make someone else feel inferior, to force someone else to do his will. That that ladder of status that everyone in the Roman Empire was so desperate to climb? Jesus started at the top, above the top, really, and he worked his way all the way down to the very bottom. He emptied himself of his status. He became nothing. He became a nobody. He became a slave, and he died a slave's death. Humiliated. On a cross. You want status? Jesus had status. And he gave it all away for the sake of others. And in response to Jesus' humility, his self-giving, self-sacrificing, all the way to the bottom of the latter way of life, his Father in heaven exalted him to the highest place. Jesus was high, he goes low, and then he's back high again as Lord of all. And calling Jesus Lord in this passage is strategic because Paul is comparing him to Caesar, that other lesser so-called Lord on the block. 
The Romans could hail Caesar as Lord. But Paul and his friends in Philippi, they knew the truth. Jesus was Lord. And Christ and Caesar were two very different kinds of lords. They were two very different kinds of heroes. One was full of himself. The other emptied himself for the sake of others. One would run over you if you got in his way. The other laid down his life for his friends and his enemies. You want status? Jesus now has status. But it didn't come from selfish ambition or aggressively climbing the social ladder. It came from his father who validated and vindicated his humility. Jesus is the empty hero filled with the glory of God. And no one in the Roman Empire admired an empty hero. But Paul says someday, everyone in the world will bow down and worship one. This is one of the most theologically rich and complex passages in all the New Testament. You can fill a library with books just about this passage from Philippians 2. It's all here, all of it. Christ's preexistence, his incarnation, his submission to the will of his Father, his obedience, his crucifixion, his resurrection and exaltation. It's all here. The whole Christ story. And Paul uses all of it in the service of showing us how to get along with each other so we can stand together as one. Showing us how to get along with each other. He uses all of it in the service of trying to get Euodia and Syntyche to get along with each other so the church can stand together as one. Now, our familiarity with this passage may keep us from seeing how revolutionary and radical it is. Humble yourself for the sake of others. But it also may keep us from taking it as seriously as we should. Because what this passage is doing, it's not just inviting us to celebrate Jesus' exaltation as a response to his humility. It's also calling us to imitate his example in your relationships with others. Have the mindset of Christ Jesus. What would your marriage be like if instead of squaring off in the valley of pride, you put the needs and interests of your spouse above your own? You valued the well-being of your spouse above your own. What would happen at work if you were to adopt this mindset, the mindset of Christ, and operated from a posture of service and humility rather than selfish ambition and cutthroat competition? What, what could a church accomplish if every single follower of Christ put the needs and interests of others above their own? What could a church accomplish if a church put the needs and interests of its neighbors above its own? 
so that the prayer hovering over every worship gathering, every small group discussion, every meeting, every strategic planning session is the prayer, Lord, give us the mindset of Christ. Let us have the mindset of Christ who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to use to his advantage, but emptied himself for the sake of others. What sets church apart, or what is supposed to set church apart from every other group or community in our society is that church, the community of Christ, is a status-free zone. Church is supposed to be the one place, the one group, the one community where we all can leave our status at the door. At church, our accomplishments, our titles, our resumes, our degrees, our salaries, they don't matter. When friends in Christ come together, the only thing that matters, what really matters, is pursuing the mindset of Christ who humbled himself for the sake of others and then trusted his father to exalt him to his rightful position. And then he encourages us, calls us to do the same. Seems appropriate to end this teaching with a word from our example. So please stand for this reading in the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 10. Speaking to his disciples, speaking to us, he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let us worship and exalt the one who humbled himself for us. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.